Hello and welcome to episode 76 of the Batflip Crazy Podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. I am your host, Toby. Uh, Today, we are going to take a look at seven players, five hitters, and two pitchers um, who folks have expressed mostly concerns with um, about their performance and taking a little bit of a dive into how they're doing, why they're doing, what they're doing, and what we can expect maybe looking forward. Uh, I also took um, some mailbag questions, and I'm also going to talk a little bit about a feature that you'll see regularly from me on Twitter, which is the expected WOBA barrel and CSW leaderboards that I'll be sharing on a regular basis, how I use those, why I share them, and and how they might be helpful to you. So I hope that that is um, helpful. I do want to apologize. It's been almost two weeks since I put out the last podcast. Uh, I did a few podcasts last week that took up a lot of my time, and it's just been really challenging uh, to get the time to do the research to put out a good product. And so hopefully uh, this one qualifies uh, as it has a good product. But I will try to continue to bring them at least once a week, hopefully twice a week, maybe even do them you know, shorter ones, but more often. I, I put out a poll recently and it seemed like people in general like that format. So that might be something that I try out here um, over the next few weeks. But please continue to reach out, engage on Twitter, ask me questions, ask me to profile folks, and I will do my best to get to all of them. Uh, the guys that we're going to be covering are Robinson Cano, Brian Dozier, uh, Daniel Murphy, Jose Peraza, Jorge Soler, and then I'll cover Lucas Giolito and Griffin Canning as well. And the mailbag questions ranging from fab to prospects and all of that good jazz. So hopefully you will enjoy it. Uh, all right, if you haven't already, please do go to iTunes, leave a five-star rating uh, and leave a review. I always, always, always appreciate both the five-star ratings uh, and when folks leave those thoughtful reviews. You guys have been great, um, you know, uh, beyond my uh, you know, wildest imagination. Is that possible for reviews? I don't know, but you guys have just been doing great, and some of the really thoughtful reviews there um, really do make my day. So thank you all so very much to do that. So if you have done that already, thank you very much. Um, please do like and retweet the podcast, share it with folks, help spread the message about it. Um, and hopefully it's helpfulness to you and your fantasy baseball doing. The best place to reach me is always on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. Um, and then uh, the, the website is BatFlipCrazy.com. I also have YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram for those who are interested in those. But I don't keep up to date on those too much. In case you did miss it, I did do three podcasts last week. Uh, the Robbie Rowe Show, which I would highly recommend. He's got some really interesting guests. It's kind of funny. The guest before me was actually Jack Flaherty, the pitcher for the St. Louis Cardinals, talking about uh, Star Wars um, uh, with uh, with Robbie. And so that's a great podcast. Robbie's a great host, super nice guy. So definitely check that out. I also did a TGFBI podcast with Justin Ma- Justin Mason uh, to learn a little bit more um, if you're interested in learning a little, just a little bit more about me, uh, both personally um, and as a fantasy analyst, definitely check that out. And then I also joined them for Friends with Fantasy Benefits. Um, him and Mike Warner, who's also a great um, uh, fantasy analyst, uh, does work for Friends with Fantasy Benefits and also with Baseball HQ. It's really fun to chat with those guys. And if you go back and listen to it, you will hear me talk about how Chris Sale is about to go off and how I love him rest of season, and he certainly showed that today with 17 strikeouts. So definitely check out those three podcasts if you're interested, if you enjoy the content I'm putting out. Um, Hopefully you do. All right, let's hop into the podcast. Let's get this party started. All right, let's get cracking. Before I hop into a little bit of player analysis, I'm only going to cover like Seven, seven folks, something like that. Um, I did want to just talk a little bit. So starting last year, I put out uh, ex, an ex-WOBA uh, leaderboard and barrel leaderboard um, every Monday or Tuesday uh, of each week. And what I would do is look at the last week, the last two weeks, and the last month and see who the ex-WOBA leaders were. I've used this as a tool Number one, you know, just to see how different players are doing, right? Like you, you oftentimes will know who's going to be at the top of that leaderboard because they're, they've been on fire recently. It's not surprising to see Chris Bryant, for instance, at the top of that leaderboard 
this week for at least the weekly one. Um, and so one of the reasons why I like to put that out there is because it just gives you a sense of how people should be performing. Again, expected WOBA is strikeouts, it's walks, and then it's quality of contact and not necessarily outcomes, right? So it's taking a look at launch angle and exit velocity of each batted ball and determining you know, what the expected um, uh, batted ball quality of that would be or what the expected outcome of that would be. And that's incorporated into ex-WOBA. And so if you have a guy who maybe is hitting the ball really, really well um, and just hasn't, hasn't seen the results yet, it can help identify those folks. So that's one of the reasons why I, I use it. Um, I also put out the barrel leaderboard just because barrels are kind of elite elite quality of contact. And so if you're looking for guys who are making really, really nice contact, if you're looking for some power hitters, sometimes you can find some names on there that are lesser owned guys uh, or identify folks who are getting who are getting pretty hot. Another reason that I, I like to put this out is because it tells me who should be doing well. And in today's game, what I find is that you know, a lot of times we focus a lot on sample size and the predictive nature of statistics. And obviously that is critical to any comprehensive analysis of, of anything, right? But one of the challenges with today's game is there's so much information that is out there and available for people to consume. And as a result, um, it doesn't take much for, for uh, a player to get on people's radar. And so oftentimes you're not able to wait until the sample size is big enough. You're not able uh, to wait to see whether something might be a little bit sustainable or whether the skills over a longer period of time are going to be able to sustain the level of performance or at least what you're seeing the performance should be in the, in the case of expected WOBA. And so why I really like it is because it allows me to identify guys based on the expected metrics who may be doing, who are making really good quality of contact and are generally have, have decent play discipline, right? Keeping the strikeouts relatively low, uh, keeping the walks high. Um, it's a pretty good comprehensive statistic. And so a lot of times what I'm looking for in the weekly leaderboards or the every two week leaderboards and sometimes in the month leaderboards um, is I'm looking for the names of guys who don't make a ton of sense. And what I mean by that is just guys who are um, who are surprising. Like you, you, you weren't expecting, you know, that guy to show up uh, on that list. And that helps me identify those guys as folks who I need to dig in a little bit deeper on, right? Like what exactly is going on uh, with them that's giving them that, um, you know, the, the nice expected WOBA that we're seeing. Uh, does it look like there's actually been a change in some skills? Like is the contact rate up, right? We don't know if the contact rate is going to stay up, you know, over the longer term. But if we see that the contact rate um, is, uh, is up over that period of time, it at least makes it a little bit more interesting because there's some sort of change in the person's profile because we can't wait until that sample size gets large enough to be more meaningful. We really got to take a chance and see, you know, if we, um, uh, if there's something here that's, that's of interest. Um, and so oftentimes there are, and oftentimes I've used this to identify guys who, um, you know, who should be performing better or uh, who, who I really like. Uh, the example that I always point to uh, from last year is Max Muncy, right? He kept on showing up in these expected WOBA leaderboards. Uh, his barrel production was really high. Uh, and as a result of that, I took a chance on him. Earlier this year, you know, Christian Walker was a guy who um, was showing up on the expected WOBA leaderboards early on in the season. The barrel rate was nice. And just that level of quality of contact, especially in today's game, um, is something that, you know, you want to take a you want to take a gamble on, roster that guy, and then hold on to them for a little while. And so that's really what why I share the expected WOBA leaderboards, and that's the use uh, for them is, you know, they are, it is descriptive. You know, it's not necessarily... Um, uh, predictive, it is descriptive of what somebody has done, but oftentimes with the expected metrics, you can identify people who are, who are doing better than maybe they, sh they, uh, or, or who should be doing better than they are. And you're hoping for some positive regression. Um, if that expected WOBA and the WOBA haven't come, 
uh, quite to alignment. Um, you know, one of the guys who stood out in this week's was Josh Bell, who just hit two home runs uh, earlier earlier today, and so he's obviously owned in every single format. But you know, it, it's just an example of maybe guys who are heating up or um, who are seeing the ball really well, and so take a chance on them, um, add them, and so that's what I would just say for the expected Woba leaderboards that I'm putting out is sort through those, look for guys who are kind of surprising. Um, you know, that you wouldn't necessarily expect there and then use that as, as, a, as kind of a, an identification for further investigation. And then I'll look into all of the, the skills and metrics that you see me um, share more broadly. So hopefully that is helpful. Um, I will start putting up some pitcher ones up there too. I also use that to identify guys who are doing well and also to kind of gauge performance. Like Mike Miner is a good example where you know, regression is coming at some point in time for Mike Meyer, Meyer uh, Mike Miner, hopefully not tomorrow against the Royals, because I've got him in a lot of lineups, but it is coming. Um, and, you know, but when you look at the expected metrics compared to what he's done so far, um, you know, they actually support or are close to, you know, what he has done so far. And that gives me a little bit more confidence that what we're seeing is, um, you know, is, is, is legit and not just a product of luck at least, even though, you know, it's really hard to sustain that low of an expected Woba and it's not necessarily predicted. And so for that reason, like you shouldn't expect that that expected Woba is going to stay there for the rest of the year. Just use it as, as, as a, as a means for further investigation and, and to identify whether it looks like something is at least, uh, supported by the skills. And then the barrel leaderboards, again, you know, that's just elite quality of contact. I also this week shared the uh, called plus swinging strike uh, leaderboard uh, over the last month in the last two weeks, just because I think that that is the, you know, based on the research that's been done by Alex Fast and folks over at PitcherList, that is the metrics that we should be looking at when analyzing um, strikeouts uh, for folks and, and strikeout ability and, you know, what we should, we, what we should even expect predictively, um, for the metrics since, uh, since it, CSW is predictive. So, uh, that is something to, um, take a look at. I'll continue to share those, definitely hit those up. And if you haven't looked at the CSW research and article, go over to Alex Fast's, uh, Twitter page at Alex Fast 8, I believe it is. And, uh, I think it's his pinned tweet. Read that because it is really, really good. All right, with that out of the way, I hope that is helpful and I and I hope I helped explain a little bit about why I shared that. And if you have any thoughts or reactions to that, feel free to connect with me online. All right, so I am going to um, cover, uh, let's see, we got four hitters and we got two pitchers that I'm going to cover here. Um, and then the first one, uh, three of these are, come from uh, our friend Ariel Cohen uh, over at the uh, TGFBI um, uh, Beat the Shift podcast. It's a great podcast. You should definitely listen to it. Um, he asked for my thoughts on Robinson Cano, uh, Jose Peraza, and Brian Dozier. And so I'm going to cover those two. I'm also going to co- cover Jorge Soler of the Royals just because I, I really liked a lot of what I saw in some of the recent skills and the overall skill profile for him. And then I'm going to uh, take a peek at Lucas Giolito, you know, a hot name certainly in the fantasy industry right now, and then Griffin Canning as well. I had planned to do a podcast late last week. I didn't get around to it. So it may be that Giolito, especially after his two starts last week, is a little bit less of a name that people have questions about, but I'm still going to dive in because I like the dude. Um, All right, so let's hop in. Uh, First, we're going to take a look at Robinson Cano. He has been struggling uh, early in his Mets career, has a lot of fantasy owners uh, worried. A 261 batting average, 315 OBP, 13 runs, 3 home runs, 12 RBI, and 0 stolen bases in 149 plate appearances, so about a quarter of a season if we're thinking about that magic number of 600 plate appearances. Uh, O swing is at 37.6%. That's actually up 4% from last year, and that's going to be a theme as we dive into Cano's uh, profile is that we do see some uh, decrease, uh, at least uh, temporarily, uh, in the plate skills. So 4% increase in that O swing, so chasing more pitches outside the zone. His in-zone contact rate is down 8% at 84.2%, so still right around league average, but not the elite totals that we've come to expect from Cano. The overall contact rate is down 4% at 78.3%. So he is making more contact on pitches outside the zone, which isn't necessarily a good thing. Obviously, making contact, fouling them off is better than swinging and missing on them. 
but you know at the same time um you know you when you hit the ball outside the zone generally speaking you're not going to be able to make quality of contact hard hit rate though at 41.1 percent so right around where he normally is and the ground ball rate also around where he normally is at 44.3 percent he's not a super low uh ground ball guy uh, StatCast data it gives us some reason for optimism. 10 barrels, 6.7% barrels per plate appearance. He's not one of these elite barrels guys, so being better than league average is really nice for Cano. 112.1 mile per hour max exit velocity. And here's the good news, a 355 expected WOBA. So well above league average, despite having a 312 WOBA. So he has been unlucky on balls in play. And I think uh, we can expect some some of that to uh, to improve um, as the sample size gets gets uh, bigger, and hopefully he gets some positive regression there. I think the major difference uh, between Cano and previous seasons is that dip in contact rate and the increase in strikeout rate as a result of that. Um, it's still uh, around league average, but it's not the elite level that we've come to expect from him, as I mentioned before. Uh, you know, it isn't necessarily out of the ordinary from his usual kind of 20 game rolling average variance that we see in contact rate. It definitely is on the low, low side, but it's not one of these massive declines. It's not Travis Shaw like, uh, if you will. And so, you know, the one question I have about Cano is I identified him a couple weeks ago as a buy low candidate just because of uh, uh, similar things that I've seen so far. I think I'd expect him, uh, my, the one concern that I do have is the impact of the two, um, he got hit on the, hit on the hand twice uh, by pitches um, and he does have a pretty um, sharp spike in ground ball rate, although it is up to just slightly above where he is normally on his three-year rolling average. And so, you know, it's not that alarming, but I am a little concerned that maybe there's some residual impact of those hit by pitches. And so just monitor him a little bit. I wouldn't necessarily make a move right now, but, you know, barring any injury there, I think he's been unlucky on balls in play. I think that, you know, there's no real huge signs or warning flags for me in the dip in plate skills. Uh, it could just be an adjustment period. It could be that he wasn't necessarily comfortable on the plate yet. So I do like Robinson Cano moving forward. I don't think this is the end of Cano. Um, you know, I do think that we're going to see some uh, something positive out of him, him pretty soon here. Uh, next up is the second guy that uh, Ariel asked us to take a look at, and that is Brian Dozier. I don't know why I always say us. It's just me, um, unless I have a guest on here. But I always say us. I always refer to the podcast as we. Maybe I include all of you out there listening. Uh, you are part of part of my community, part of the podcast for sure. But I just find myself saying that I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about, Toby? Uh, anyways, Brian Dozier, 197 batting average, 301 OBP, 12 runs, five home runs, seven RBIs, one stolen base, and 146 plate appearances. So again, about a quarter of a season when we think about that 600 plate appearance mark. You know, I had cautioned some patients with Dozier. Um, you know. Uh, a few weeks ago when I was taking a look under the hood at, at what was going on there. Um, but, you know, I think at this point, uh, there's some there's some real concerning stuff here. O swing at 22.1% is not one of those concerns. That's the one highlight I would say from his profile is that the plate discipline continues to be uh, really, really strong, uh, which is nice um, for, uh, for Dozier. You know, that's always helpful. If you have him in OBP leagues, he's not destroying you like he is in average leagues. His in-zone contact rate is at 81.5%. It's not terrible, but it is down 4%. Uh, from last year. And then his contact rate overall is down 5% below league average at 74.1%. So that's concerning because, you know, we're seeing some decrease in contact skills, um, you know, in addition to what I'm about to cover, which is the biggest kind of glaring prop problem for me and huge warning sign, which is the batted ball quality. So his hard hit rate is right around league average at 36%, but the ground ball rate is up 7%. 46.5% that this from a guy who generally has been a higher fly ball guy. So that's a major concern, especially this deep into the season, right? We're 150 plate appearances into the season. We're a quarter of the way into the season. And not only do we so see diminishing plate skills, but he still hasn't been able to elevate the ball as consistently as we would like him to. The stat cast data also paints a, a, a bleak picture Five barrels so far, 3.4% barrels per plate appearance, well below league average, max exit velocity of 106.1 miles per hour, and then a 290 expected WOBA. So, you know, all across the board there, um, you know, pretty not 
that interesting uh, from Dozier. You know, uh, the ground ball percentage is the big concern for me. That 7% is, is pretty is pretty big, and that's going to limit the power potential, which is one of the reasons why we're sticking with him a little bit. If he's not going to get on base, if that batting average is going to stay low, you know, the stolen bases aren't going to be great. And so there's there, we're seeing fewer and fewer reasons to hold on to hope. I think it's totally safe to drop him in 12 team leagues at this point in the season, and he's becoming increasingly irrelevant in 15 team leagues, uh, a guy that you probably haven't been starting for a little while now. And so monitor that, and it may be time to, um, especially you know if he starts to lose some playing time, uh, it's definitely something to be to be monitoring the monitoring in those deeper leagues. Uh, Jose Praza is up next, two oh seven batting average, two fifty six OBP, blah, twelve runs, two home runs, eight RBI, four stolen bases in one hundred twenty nine plate appearances. Uh, the plate discipline has never been a strength for Peraza. It's been a huge area of weakness, especially for a guy with speed who you want to get on base. O-swing is at 36%. Uh, the contact rate is elite as always, 96.5% in-zone contact. Overall contact rate at 86.1%. Really, really good there. But the hard hit rate at 23.7%. And here's here's the, here's the issue with a guy like Peraza. The ground ball percentage is at 33.7%. Generally speaking, we'd love to see that because, you know, a guy's hitting the ball in the air, he's going to do a little bit more damage. But I think the problem with guys like Jose Peraza, and and I joke around um, in the little write-up that I did about how he's suffering from what I call Manny Margot syndrome. And Manny Margot syndrome, um, you know, I should check in to see how Manny Margot is doing this year. I don't think he's getting a ton of playing time, but I was totally off of Margot last year because what I saw in the data from 2017 when the ball was juiced was that you know he hit uh, his home run total was much higher than his expected home run total and he was hitting a ton of fly balls and he wasn't strong enough to make those fly balls count they weren't going for extra base hits really they weren't going for home runs really what they were going to end up being was just can of corn cans of corn in the outfield and so these guys who have a ton of speed who you want to get on base but you know who are hitting the ball in the air a ton number 1 you know, yeah, like hitting the ball on the ground isn't great, but it gives them an additional kind of bonus in the fact that they're speedsters. But I want these guys to be hitting a lot more line drives. And that's one of the things that we're not seeing from Peraza right now um, is, you know, I'd love to see that that launch angle be lower than it is right now for him. Um, just like generally speaking about launch angle, I want to see him hitting the ball on the ground, hitting a lot of line drives, keeping them low. Because yeah, he might hit occasional home runs like he did last year, but again, the expected home runs uh, that we had at xstats.org didn't support the power that he was showing last year. And so, you know, uh, that I think is one of the situ- one of the things that's happening here with Peraza. The Statcast data is terrible: one barrel, uh, 0.8% barrels per plate appearance, 105.7 mile per hour max exit velo, a 257 expected woba. Uh, is atrocious. And so, you know, what I want to see from Peraza moving forward, and again, there's always a ton of variance in line drive percentages. Never look at line drive percentages over a small sample size. I mean, use them in your analysis, but don't be like, oh, dude's hitting 35% line drives or 10% line drives over a short period of time because line drives are the batted balls that are hit the fewest, right? Like they're fewer than, generally speaking, ground balls and fly balls. And so, you know, they're in small sample sizes, you know, a guy hits three line drives in a row and all of a sudden his line drive percentage is up, you know, five to 10 points. And so uh, just be cautious in doing that. You know, right now he has a 50% fly ball rate, which is just way too high for him. 33.7% ground ball rate, as I mentioned. And then um, the line drive percentage is at 15.7%. Uh, so I expect that to go up. Last year, I believe it was at 25.5%. I don't have it in front of me. But, you know, if he wants to maximize his skills, especially since he doesn't get on base, he swings at everything. He doesn't walk. He's not getting on base to use that speed. You know, uh, there's just, I think, relatively little utility in him as he's currently um, constructed right now. Now, that could change. I expect the batting average to improve. The contact rate is really, really high there. Um, But, you know, I think that's just something that's really important to uh, consider with him. And then how much time does he have? Like, as a guy who owns a little bit of Josh Van Meter, I'd be really interested in seeing 
um, him get uh, some plate appearances. Um, I think actually, let me let me just see. I think Praz is losing losing some uh, playing time to uh, Kyle Farmer right now. I don't own Praza, so you know you never you never know. Uh, yeah, so he's you know uh, didn't play today. Only got you know pinch hitting in, on the eleventh and the tenth. So you know he's really a guy that you can you can probably drop in twelve team leagues, even though the speed is what it is. Um, you know, one thing that I'm going to check on here, and this is one of these things where, you know, I, I don't know the answer to this before I look it up, so let's hope so. But I'm going to say that his BABIP on fly balls is going to be super low. Um, let's see. BABIP on fly balls, 0 0.087. This year, 0 0.092. Uh, last year, uh, for his career, his BABIP on fly balls is 105. And then now let's check... Uh, batting leaders. Let's see what the league is doing on that. Uh, so the league, BABIP on fly balls is going to be... Sorry, I want the, I want the league. Dun, dun, dun. Man, there's just so much pressure here. Uh, 114. So it's not that, it's not that much worse. Um, but you know, I, I would guess that his, uh, his, um, you know, his, uh, his bacon, his batting average on contact is going to be much lower than, uh, the league average on those fly balls since not a ton of them are going for home runs. Anyways, that's enough on Jose Praza. Some things not to like in that profile right there. Uh, next up is, uh, Jorge Soler, 248 batting average, 308 OBP, 20 runs, 10 home runs, 25, uh, RBI, uh, zero stolen bases and 169 plate appearances. So he's doing pretty well already this season. The O swing at 29.8% is right around league average. The Z contact is better than league average at 86%, which is nice. But the overall contact rate is uh, well below league average at 69.3%. Again, like 76 to 77% is league average. And so that just shows that he really struggles when he swings at pitches outside the zone at making contact. Hard hit rate at 38.6%, so slightly elevated. Ground ball rate slightly elevated at 45.5%. We see that he's been a little lucky with a 345 Woba and a 312 expected Woba. He does have 11 barrels for a 6.5% barrels per plate appearance. And he's he's a, he's a, ma he's a max exit velo guy. At 115.1 mile per hour max exit velo, very few guys can get above 115. And so Soler is one of these guys. The reason why I wanted to bring up Soler is, you know, number one, he's batting... Uh, clean up or fifth in the uh, in the Royals lineup, and it's not as as bad of a lineup as as folks were necessarily anticipating. And you see some of that in in what he's been able to produce so far. I mean, we're a quarter of the way through the season. If you just multiply what he's done so far, you're looking at an 80, 40, 100 season, which is certainly something that you would take. But if you look at his recent skills, uh, Soler's uh, profile is very interesting. His contact rate. Um, his in-zone contact rate is up at 91%, which is really, really nice. That's borderline elite. And his hard hit rate is up at 48% over the last 14 days. So he really seems to be seeing the ball well. He's got a nice uh, set of matchups this week. Uh, I want to say he plays Texas and then Anaheim this week. And so um, he might be a guy that you want to roll with this week if he's available in shallower leagues. Um, or a guy that you potentially want to want to target um, as maybe a guy who you who you might be able to get, um, who you might expect something a little bit more from. So Jorge Soler is a guy that I like um, uh, for sure there as a power bat. You know the batting average might not be terrific, but I think with that contact rate, there could be some uh, rosier days ahead. Maybe getting in that 260, 270 range, which would be really really nice. Uh, the last hitter we're going to cover is Daniel Murphy, 203 batting average, 273 OBP, 10 runs, 2 home runs, 13 RBI, 0 stolen bases, and 66 plate appearances. Um, what's remarkable about Murphy, he's been terrible, but if you take those you know, per plate appearance rates on those runs and RBIs, even the home runs, it's going to be a really, really nice total for you. But Beyond that, the O swing is up 3% at 36.9%, so not great, although plate, di plate discipline isn't necessarily his calling card. The end zone contact rate is at 89.2%, which is really good, but still down 4.5% from last year. And then the contact rate is at 90.3%, which is really, really good. It's actually up from last year, but that means that he is making an insane amount of contact on pitches outside the zone. In fact, 91.5% 
O contact. So nine out of every 10 swings on pitches outside of the zone he's making contact on, which, you know, you think, wow, that will minimize strikeouts. But at the same time, like that might be a reason why his batted ball quality data is just so poor. Hard hit rate at 26.4%, ground ball rate up 8% at 43.4%. You know, he's one of the kind of leaders of the fly ball revolution. And so seeing that ground ball rate, even at league average, um, is a concern for him. And then the stat cast data, no barrels so far this year. Uh, that's 0% barrels per plate appearance, in case you were wondering. 105.6 max exit low and a 246 expected Woba. Now, Murphy has obviously struggled with injury and, and you know, just kind of settling in this year. I think a major reason for his struggles and potentially even the increased ground ball rate is the increase um, in that O contact, um, you know, making uh, more contact on pitches outside the zone than in the zone. And I think that that will change as he becomes more comfortable and settles in a little bit. So I'm not too concerned. Um, you know, I, I think Murphy has shown and, and, you know, even with the poor plate skills that he has, he's still making a ton of contact. He's still going to be playing in cores. It's still a decent lineup. And so I think, you know, when all is said and done, I think Murphy will get going. I think we saw something similar from him last year when he came back from the knee injury where the hard hit weight was really low. He wasn't making a ton of quality, um, uh, he wasn't making, he didn't have a great batted ball quality, but he was making enough contact where he kind of sustained himself and then he got going towards the end of the year. So hopefully something like that is a similar path that Will Murphy will take this year. All right, hopping over to pitchers, Lucas Giolito, so far this year, 38 innings pitched, a 3.55 ERA, a 1.18 whip, 46 Ks, a 3.83 Sierra, and a 3.79 XFIP. Um, so all really nice right there. His fastball velocity is up one mile per hour at 94 miles per hour. The one concern that I do have with Giolito, and, and there's not a ton here, to be honest with you, um, is the O-swing is low at 26.4%. And so that really forces him, if he's not getting folks to chase at pitches outside the zone, it enforces um, him to be in the zone a lot, which he has been so far this year at 49.5%. So that's uh, been helping keep the walk rate relatively low. He's also getting ahead of hitters at a 62.8% first pitch strike rate, which is really, really nice there. The strikeout skills are all, are well, not well above league average, but above league average. In-zone contact rate at 83.7%, so about 1% better than league average. Swinging strike rate about 1% better than league average at 11.9%. Uh, CSW well above average at 31.7%, so that's about 3.5% uh, better than league average or 3% better than league average. K-minus walk rate at 19.2%. That's well above league average. The BABIP at a reasonable 289. He even has a pretty low strand rate at 69.4%, especially for a guy who's striking out guys at the rate that he's striking them out. So you may even see a little bit of positive regression there. Where you may see some regression is on the home run to fly ball rate at 8.3%. But the expected WOBA at 299 is better than league average by about 20 points. And it is better than the 275 um, WOBA that he's sporting. So maybe a little bit of regression there, but I think that'll come on that home run per fly ball rate. Hopefully he doesn't have any guys on when he gives those home runs up. You know, I've been in on uh, Giolito for a few weeks now. If you've been following, I've been posting some of the CSW and swinging strike rate marks for him going on three or four weeks now. Um, the strikeout skills have improved, and I think those were lost in the high BABIP and the low strand rate that he had early in the year. I think what's particularly interesting is the combination of the increase uh, in velocity, which has made his four seam a lot more palatable. It had been crushed in previous seasons, but it's only got a 123 WRC+. Plus. And his swinging strike rate is not great on the pitch it's at about 7.5%, but it is up 3% from previous years, which is, which is certainly not nothing. Um, and then his secondary offings look really, really good. The changeup has a 14 WRC plus and an 18.6% swinging strike rate. And then the slider has a zero WRC plus and a 23.6% uh, swinging strike rate. So that gives him two plus offerings, one that he can use against right-handers, one that he can use against left-handed hitters. And one thing that I really liked about Giolito is not this past start, but against the Indians uh, two starts ago, you know, they put up eight of the nine batters were left-handed batters. And uh, Giolito pretty much went four-seam changeup, and he was still able to dominate that lineup. And so, you know, just that's how good the changeup is right now. It's a really good pitch. If you watch him pitch, you can see that it's a really effective pitch. The, the slider, he didn't have... 
uh, in his last game against Toronto, but he still was able to manage. And and that's really good news, I think, for Giolito. And, you know, like you don't think about it, but the White Sox all of a sudden, I mean, you know, you have a Reynaldo Lopez who has really turned it around recently. You have Giolito who's turned it around uh, recently. And so neither of them is is some sort of amazing pitcher right now, but they're at league average or slightly better. And, and, and that's two guys in that rotation um, who can provide that for them. And, and that's certainly a start as they look to build something there in Chicago. Griffin Canning is the next guy I wanted to cover. Uh, 14 and one-third innings pitched, a 565 ERA, a 133 whip, a 19 strikeouts with a 367 Sierra and a 405 XFIP. I think that 367 Sierra and that 405 XFIP is a much more... It's a much uh, more accurate picture of, of what we have in canning so far this year as opposed to that 565. Uh, fastball velocity at 94 miles per hour, so pretty nice there. O-swing at a very nice 35.2%. First pit strike rate at 67.7%. The zone rate is very, very low, uh, 32.3%. So I, that, that will go up, I think, um, you know, but... Uh, that O swing needs to be very high, and it's nice to see that first pitch strike rate high as well because he's getting ahead of folks at least. The strikeout skills are off the charts right now, 74.1% in-zone contact rate, so like 12 13% better than league average. Swinging strike rate is about 7% better than league average at 17.8%. CSW at 34.9% um, is about 6.5% better than league average. The K-minus walk rate at 21% is about 7% better than league average. The BABIP is low at 273, strand rate at 74.6%, but the home run per fly ball rate is at 22.2%. So that should regress. And I think you see that too with the expected WOBA at 267 compared to a 349 WOBA. And so that's kind of small sample sizes for you is that massive differential that we have right there. Uh, the ex-WOBA loves the high strikeout rate, the what has been low K rate, um, and the quality of contact that he hasn't given, that he's given up, I, I think is not, does not merit the 22.2% home run per fly ball rate that we see right now. Um, so I do think that those ratios will get better for canning, but you know I think that what we are also seeing is that as hitters become more familiar with him and his stuff, uh, that he's starting to get hit harder, and and we see that in the through uh, second and third time through the order. First time through the order, he's got a, a really low um, uh, ERA. Again, very very small sample size, and then the second and third time through. Uh, it goes through the roof. And so, you know, I think that's a, a lot of what we're seeing. I think the strikeout skills are going to come down a little bit. I think the walk rate will go up a little bit. The batted ball quality should uh, even out in terms of the luck factor and the home run factor there. And so when I think that's all said and done, I think, you know, like we're kind of getting a picture with that Sierra and that XFIP, I think of what canning could be. Uh, again, as hitters see him more and adjust, He'll need to be make adjustments back, and I think that'll be the key to him uh, being a, a valuable fantasy asset for teams uh, this year versus being a guy who um, has some early season uh, success, at least you know in the strikeout department, but then uh, fades down the stretch. So you know that's a little bit about him. He's definitely going to need to come into the zone a little bit more, but uh, all in all, it's been a, a decent a decent start of the season for Canning. Uh, all right, that is going to uh, cover the uh, the profiles um, that we're gonna that we're gonna do today. So we did uh, two pitchers, and then we did uh, five hitters. I think, yeah, five hitters. So a total of seven players. Um, I'll solicit uh, uh, info from folks on who you'd like me to cover next. Um, I'm going to move along now to the mailbag, um, and so I've been asking for questions about either strategy or just more generally speaking. Um, uh, you know, questions that folks have. And so I'll dive into some of those. Uh, the first is, um, what are you doing in 12-team redraft leagues with recently demoted prospects? Um, uh, that's uh, Nathaniel uh, Lowe and Carter Keyboom. Um, and so the thing about, the, about prospects in 12-team leagues, I think, is that it's very hard to find, you know, non-elite prospects that are that are going to give you um, uh, or where you might expect or the projections might point to better than replacement level production, right? Because the thing with, um, you know, low and kaboom is, 
you know, even if you look at their uh, if you look at their projections, you know, they're pretty good uh, for for rookies. But we've come to expect so much from rookies with the success that folks have had recently. Like you look at the Zips uh, rest of season projection for Nathaniel Low, uh, just because of the bat and, and other folks don't have it. 377 plate appearances, 257 batting average, 12 home runs, 46 runs, 42 RBI. You know, that's something that you can easily get uh, on the waiver wire in most 12-team leagues. Again, as in any type of situation where we talk about value, it depends on the depth of benches. Like if there are really, really deep benches, then, you know, you can better afford to hold on to them. The shallower the benches, the higher the replacement value on the waiver wire is going to be, whether there's DL slots that kind of dilute the talent pool as well. But for both of those guys, I'm totally comfortable uh, dropping those guys in 12-team leagues. In fact, I did drop Carter Keboom in a 12-team league that only has five bench slots. Uh, it's kind of like a Yahoo traditional league. And so, you know, in that situation, I, I dumped Keboom because even if you were to provide, you know, uh, the level of production that, you know, is very high in terms of, um, you know, the percentile projection, is is it still all that much better than, you know, uh, streaming matchups for shortstops over the course of that season or something like that? So Zips has him at 362 plate appearances, 234, 11 home runs, 43 runs, 37 RBIs, and four stolen bases. So you're not necessarily getting batting average. You're not necessarily getting stolen bases. The counting stats aren't going to be great because they generally put these guys towards the back of the lineup. And then the batting average also isn't projected to be that high. You know, the, the highest is Steamer at 250. And so I think you can go and pick up your average Joe against a good lineup and get a better better production than you uh, in a 12 team league than you would on the on uh you know on on having key boom and low and and kind of waiting for them in redraft league so i'm perfectly fine getting rid of those guys the exception to those are you know kind of your eloys or your um uh, like your eloys your vlads obviously but like keston hira like keston hira is a guy who i mean if he gets demoted then drop him but you know he's a guy who the offensive profile is one of the best in the minors um, and Lowe and Kiboom are certainly good, um, and Lowe better in, in OBP, I think, but, you know, they, they don't necessarily have the offensive upside. They may not have, you know, the the home park um, that that Hero is going to be playing in. Um, so, you know, kind of take take your stab at these guys in 12-team leagues. Don't play too much of a price, and when, if they get demoted or they're not successful, there's always plenty uh, of uh, solid contributions on the on the waiver wire for those guys so that was a really long way of just saying uh feel free to dump them and and use the best guys that you can find available on the wire who have great matchups that week or even daily if that if that's how your league rolls next question would you sell high knowing the lack of name power won't fetch top dollar or hold on for the remainder of the season for the following trey mancini Jorge Polanco, Tim Anderson, and Mikel Franco. I actually added Mikel Franco because I had a similar question that asked about him. You know, I think for these guys, you know, one of the things that I like to do when I'm taking a look at these guys is is do a deep dive uh, on these guys or even do just a rudimentary dive. Like go to the expected stat uh, statistics, right? So if I look up Trey Mancini, I see that he's got a 367 expected WOBA, a 386 uh, Woba, just by looking at Baseball Savant really, really quickly. Um, and then when I take a look at him, he's got 12 barrels, a 7.5% barrels per plate appearance, which is really, really good. Max exit velocity right around 113 miles per hour, which is really, really good there. You know, so all of that is checking out as something that, you know, well, maybe Mancini is, is making higher quality of contact. Um, everything seems to be supported by the expected metrics, by the StatCast data. And then when we take a look at uh, under the hood, you know, 318 batting average, seven home runs, uh, 26 runs, 16 RBI, zero stolen bases. Uh, the strikeout rate is down. The walk rate is up. Uh, the O swing is right around where it's been in the past. Uh, the contact rate is up a few percentage points, with, which may point to the fact that that K rate um, you know, is down. And so that might support that. The hard hit rate is at 34.8%, but we already know that the stat cast metric, metrics is well above league average. And so for all those reasons, you know, I'd be holding on to Mancini again, unless you can get somebody who you find to be more valuable. I actually think Trey Mancini, you know, based on everything I've seen, he's above league average hitter. He's got dual position eligibility at first base and outfield, which is uh, helpful. And so for that reason, I would hold on to Mancini. Jorge Polanco, if you do a similar exercise with Polanco, I think you'll also see that while he's kind of outperforming 
where he he maybe should be, um, he's still been really, really good. So the, the WOBA is at 424, which is elite, elite, elite stuff from Polanco. The expected WOBA is at 382, which is still really, really, really good. So we might expect some regression from him, but that doesn't change the fact that he's really good. His batting average is 327. His expected batting average is 290. That's really, really good, especially in today's landscape. So no reason to drop him there. When we take a look at the... Um, uh, barrel data for Polanco, 12 barrels, 7.1% barrels per plate appearance, better than league average, uh, 108.1 uh, miles per hour there. So really nice from Jorge Polanco, especially for a guy who has a little bit of speed. When we dive into his profile on fan graphs, and the reason why I'm going through this is just like, this is something that, uh, that, that all of you who are listening, if you don't do this already, you can do really, really quickly and familiarize yourself with. And there's some tools out there like create a custom leaderboard so that all, on Fangraph so that all this information is available to you right in your dashboard so that you don't have to scroll through all the pages. It's right there. Like You guys can hear me doing it right now. I don't have these numbers in front of me. I'm literally looking them up on Fangraphs. So for Polanco, if I look at him, you know, walk rate up at 9.5%. Uh, K rate down at 14.3%. Uh, you might be able to hear my uh, my toddler crying in the background. Um, if you can, I apologize. Um, uh, you know, hopefully he will go back to bed or uh, I won't have to interrupt the podcast, but you won't even know if I interrupt the podcast because I'll just turn the podcast off and then I'll start up where I was. So anyways, Jorge Polanco, 327 batting average. We already said 290 expected batting average, but still good. Um, home runs, eight home runs, 23 runs, 19 uh, RBI. I actually think the run total is fairly low for him given the 393 OBP that he's carrying right now um, and how good that Twins lineup has been. Uh, 19 RBI. He did steal a base, I want to say today maybe he stole his first base. So he now has one stolen base. So a little bit disappointing that um, you know that that's down. But one thing to think about for Polanco is he's got a 345 Babbitt this year, which is super, super high. But when we look at his career Babbitt, it's 314. And last year over a half a season, he had a 345 Babbitt as well. He's got a high line drive rate at 26.6%, which is something he's done throughout his career at 24.2%. So again, that might keep that above there. And one of the things that I like about Polanco is he is a guy, a little guy who has enough power. The ground ball rate is down at 22.6%. He's hitting a ton of fly balls, but not a ton of infield fly balls. Um, his hard hit rate is up 12% at 44.1%. His O swing is still better than league average at 28.9%. The contact rate is, is equal to where it has been previously at 85.2% which is well above league average. The end zone contact rate is elite at 91.4%. There is nothing not to love, if that's actually a thing, nothing not to love about Jorge Polanco and his profile. So I am not selling low uh, on Polanco here. I think Polanco's legit. Um, he's been in the majors for a while already, but he's still just 25. I mean, you know, he's he's terrific. I love Jorge Polanco. Um the, two, the next two guys, though, that I will cover, um, Tim Anderson and Mikel Franco, are examples of guys that I would um, sell a little bit high on. So let's do the same exercise as we did with those guys. So with, um, with Tim Anderson, um, you know, he's got a uh, 339 expected WOBA. So that's uh, slightly better than league average, but he's currently at 374. So we're going to expect some negative regression there. He does have an expected batting average of 284, but... As a number of folks have pointed out already, the thing about Anderson is he always starts off the seasons really, really hot, and then he slows down considerably as the year progresses. At least that's been kind of uh, what he has been doing. We'll jump into the stats a little bit deeper to see if that's what we're going to assume is going to happen. The one thing with Anderson, though, is that he does bring speed, and you always need to factor these things into valuations, right? It's like Tim Anderson, the batting average might not be great. Uh, but unless you can get something really good in return, it's really hard to replace the power-speed uh, combo that he's able to provide for you. So always be thinking about that if you're in a roto league, right? Like Anderson has less value in points leagues because the speed isn't that critical. But um, in a roto league, you know, you you can't just replace that speed, um, you know, and, and that power combination. So you got to be thinking about how that factors in for the rest of the year if you're going to try to sell high on him. Um, so let's take a look at uh, Tim Anderson here. All right, we have a uh, 322 batting average, eight home runs, 
25 runs, 24 RBI, and 12 stolen bases from Anderson so far in 153 plate appearances. A 3.9% walk rate. That's what we'd expect from Anderson. Uh, 20.3% strikeout rate. So much lower than he has traditionally been at. Actually about 5% lower. Uh, 4% lower than where he has been before. Babbitt's way up there at 364, but he's got a career 329 Babbitt. So just something to take into consideration there. Hard hit rate is actually lower than uh, last year and lower than his uh, career average um, ground ball rate uh, is up slightly from last year. Uh, chase rate is up slightly. He is making more contact by about 4%. So that bodes well for hanging on to those gains uh, for the strikeout. So that may result in a little bit of a boost uh, to his batting average. He's at 263 for his career. Um, so, you know, maybe the batting average won't hurt you that much. Um, let's take a look at those splits, though, that we had talked about. So for his career, and again, like it's always like, Take him with a grain of salt, but let's see. Um, his career splits, uh, first half, second half. Uh, first half and second half are pretty identical, a little bit less uh, power. Um, he always does really well in March and April. So the first uh, month of the year kind of struggles towards the middle and then heats up. So maybe there's not as much to um, him not being as good. The one thing that I'd say about Anderson then, then after looking you know, at all this stuff is, you know, he's probably outperforming where he should be. It does actually look like he's made some skill gains. And again, if you're in a Roto League, it's really hard to replace the stolen base power combination that Anderson is able to provide to you. And if he's not going to hurt you in batting average, the counting stats should be okay. So I would actually say Anderson may be a hold. Whereas I think in the past, I would have been a little bit more skeptical. I actually see some some gains so far for Anderson. So that's that is encouraging. Obviously, you know, put him out there, see what you get, see like if you have enough stolen bases, see if there's somebody who's desperate for stolen bases and you might be able to, um, you know, use uh, that to, to, to gain a little bit of value or to help you out in another area. Uh, Michael Franco is the last guy that we will uh, talk about here. Um, Franco started off the season really hot, but he has not been as good as late. You know, the Woba's only at 302. His expected Woba is actually higher at 317, 241 batting average, and a 244 expected batting average. So, not great there. I remember being intrigued by the initial skills that Franco was showing, but they just really haven't held up. Um, if we dive in deeper into the profile, so 241, seven home runs, 20 runs, 28 RBI, zero stolen bases. 9.9% walk rate. He's getting a lot of intentional walks, batting eighth in front of the pitcher. 10.5% uh, K percentage. Um, so that's down significantly. The BABIP is very low at 230, but the expected WOBA is telling us that that may not be an aberration there. Line drive rate's super low. Um, so that might be the reason there. Infield fly ball rate really high. Hard hit rate low. O-swing about where it normally is, contact rate where it is normally. So you'd even expect some regression on that K percentage there. So as a result of that, I mean, if you can get something for Franco because he's got the counting stats, he's got the runs and RBIs, then, you know, go ahead and do that. Um, his rest of season projection is, um, you know, it's it's actually okay. It's decent, um, but, you know, the underlying skills aren't great. And so if you can turn him into something valuable, maybe uh, identify a guy who... Um, you know, batting average or stolen bases, maybe some of the scarcer categories if you're playing in Roto. Um, see if you can get somebody that can help you out there because a lot of the value that he's providing with, to you is counting stats. All right, the next question, should we have any real interest in these surging angels like Calhoun, Fletcher, uh, La Stella, and Goodwin? Um, so I think anytime, I think one of the things that, that the last couple years has taught me is, you know, we should be looking, we should have interest in everybody, right? We should be looking at everybody. If you had identified earlier on in the season that Tommy LaStella was showing elite plate discipline, uh, elite contact rates, which he was, um, and that the hard hit rate was increasing as well, and the fly ball rate was increasing as well, well, you may have been able to foresee what was going to happen here. But in my case, I ignored it, right? I saw him on the leaderboards and I ignored him. And, and as a result, I'm missing out on what he's been able to produce, so with all of these guys, I think you just need to know what you're getting and you need to do the deep dive to figure out whether what they're doing looks like it makes sense. Does, are there skill improvements that are helping to support 
the improved performance. Now that doesn't necessarily mean over a small sample size that that is what they're going to do moving forward, but it certainly bodes better than a guy who just you know, has a huge discrepancy between his Woba and ex-Woba and everything else looks the same. That just means that the hits are falling early in the season. They're probably not going to fall later in the season. He's going to, re- they're going to regress to the mean. But if the mean actually changes because the skills are changing, then I think that is uh, something to look at. And again, looking at uh, particularly ground ball fly ball rates, you know, is somebody elevating a little bit more that'll get more power? Are there changes to the contact rate or the plate discipline? The plate discipline, you know, just in terms of swinging at better pitches, the contact rate, um, because, you know, you're going to strike out less, you're going to put balls in play more, and that's good. So with all these guys, like Fletcher has the best contact of any player in baseball, and so just by virtue of that, the batting average should be pretty good. Uh, he switches off between batting at the top of the lineup and the back of the lineup, which limits a little bit, you know, outside of daily leagues, like his value there. But I think he can provide like 10 to 15 home run power. Uh, he can provide 10 to 15 stolen bases, uh, okay counting stats, and, and solid batting average. And in deeper leagues, that's certainly something that's valuable. He was on the waiver wire in my 15 team league, and I went after him, but my bid wasn't high enough this last weekend. La Stella, I think definitely take a look at him. He's a guy who they expected well, but I think it's at like 378 or something like that. Like he just looks really, really good. Same thing with Goodwin. He's also shown some improvements. And I think Calhoun is always a guy who can be valuable uh, when he when he's hot, as long as you understand that the batting average is going to be low. So I think with all those guys, there's definitely interest, varying interest. And again, match that interest to your team, right? You know, Fletcher may not be as valuable to you if you're set in batting average, but if you need batting average, he may be more valuable. A guy like uh, La Stella may have more uh, value to you if you're looking for a little bit of power. Um, you know, Goodwin if you're looking for more of a well-rounded guy, and then Cal- Calhoun also if you're looking for power and you can handle a little bit of the average drag. So that I think is how we need to be approaching everybody is really like take a look at the leaderboards, keep up to date on everything that's going on because guys can flip it on a dime. You know, things can change really, really quickly in today's game. Uh, And so I think we need to be prepared for that. Uh, Finally, the last question is your experience thoughts around fabbing for 15 team events, i.e. the NFBC main. How much budget for pitching, streaming versus prospect call-ups? I don't know if I'm the best person to talk about this. I feel really bad about how I've managed my fab budget, to be honest with you. Uh, I did spend a lot of it um, in a lot of my team leagues on Cole Tucker, and that has not worked out well for me. I dropped him in most of my leagues this this year. He did hit a home run today, so that's really good. He, I st- he's still a very likable player. Um, and I think that's the challenge is, is we become so accustomed with the Juan Sotos of the world and uh, these guys who come up and they excel right away. Now we forget that unless you're like a super elite prospect, there's a lot of question marks. And so I actually, you know, I think that's where I made my major mistake was taking a non-elite prospect and placing so much of my fab uh, on him. And so I would caution like, you know, Keston Hira is going to go this weekend. I anticipate he'll go for over $200. And, you know, I think that's okay because he's going to Milwaukee. It's a great park, check. Uh, it's a great team, check, and he's a great offensive talent, right? His one concern is defense, and that doesn't really matter for the fantasy game outside of making sure that you get playing time. And so that is really, really nice. In some leagues, he even has dual position eligibility. Um, I picked him up last week in a couple places, um, like fan tracks, where he has second base and outfield, and that's going to be great you know, to have that. And so like he's an example of a guy who is a borderline kind of elite prospect, especially when it comes to the hit tool and even the power tool. And so he's a guy that I'd be willing to shout out a lot of. I actually don't do a ton of streaming in my NFBC uh, main events. Uh, number one, you know, I find that a lot of times the bidding is really competitive. If there's a, a lesser pitcher, but they've got a good two starts, you know, you're not going to slip that by folks in the NFBC main. So people are going to be shelling out a lot of fab. And I really think that the replacement like the difference between, you know, a guy who isn't rostered already, who you're picking up to stream in like a 15 team league um, versus like, you know, just rolling the dice on a guy who's already on your team. There's not that much of a difference, particularly in today's context when it seems like, you know, even the good guys are blowing up every few starts. And so I think with all of that said, like I really don't spend a lot of time on pitching streaming. What I will do occasionally, um, if there's nobody that I'm particularly like strong on or with a conditional bid that's lower down is look a couple weeks in advance. And, you know, like a um, good example would be like Annabelle Sanders 
Sanchez. He's been dropped in a lot of 12-team leagues, um, in some 15-team leagues as well. If you look at his starts next week, I think he has like the Mets and the Marlins or something like that. Whatever it is, it's a pretty good two-star week. So a guy like that, you know, I may not have, I won't bid for him, you know, going into um, next week, but this week, you know, I might have bid for him like a dollar or two, just hoping that, you know, nobody else was going to bid for him. And then I have him for the next week. So I think that's the way that you can gain value is by getting people a week ahead of time by looking forward. Um, like uh, Hero was actually available in one of my main event leagues two weeks ago. And I put in a bid for him. I think it was a fairly, like not a huge bid, but like a $30 bid or something like that. And I got beat out by about $15, I want to say. And, and, you know, I'm regretting not going a little bit harder on that. But, you know, getting guys ahead of time, you know, um, for cheaper, like, you know, uh, I don't know who the next guy is, like Austin Riley's going to be there, but it's going to be too late to get him. But, you know, a guy like an Austin Hayes, maybe like go after him this week, maybe, or once he starts playing in the minors, you know, uh, pick him up and, and, and be willing to hold on to him for a couple weeks to see if you might get lucky. I picked up Josh Van Meter because he, he hasn't been playing. He hasn't really gotten a lot of looks. I have kind of uh, liked a little bit of what I've seen from him just in terms of the way his approach at the plate. He hasn't made some great contact yet, but hasn't really been given an opportunity. And I know that a lot of the guys who are playing like Peraza and Farmer are not like terrific options. And so maybe they give him a little bit of a run here coming up and, and I paid two bucks for him. And if I drop him next week or the week after that, then so be it. It's not a big deal. But um, I think that's how you can really get some value in some of these really competitive 15 team leagues is everybody's so focused on the here and now. I think a lot of players are also focused on, you know, forecasting the future and looking two weeks, three weeks in advance. And so, you know, it won't always work out. But, you know, I think that's a much better uh, option than trying to stream pitchers like on a week to week basis there, because you do end up using a ton of your fab on streaming pitchers. And I just don't think the difference between them is that big. So what I've tried to do is my bench is primarily starting pitchers in most leagues. I actually think one league, one of my mains is slightly different than that. But in a lot of them, you know, I'm trying to get like four additional pitchers. Maybe I have one additional relief pitcher and three additional pitchers. So generally speaking, each week, I'm going to like most of my matchups that I have uh, going in terms of my starting pitchers. And if I don't, then I just throw in that additional reliever, even if maybe they're not going to get saves. So I think that's how you have to manage it. Um, And I think, you know, you need to be selectively aggressive if you see a guy that you think can help you out, then be aggressive. You know, that's what you're saving your bit, your fab bids for. And it's especially nice to do that early in the season where you can accrue a, a full season worth of value from them. But I think that's where I made my mistake is like a goal like, guy like Cole Tucker. You know, I needed middle infield. I needed stolen bases. He looked like the right guy. I liked the profile a lot, but I did not dive deep enough um, into the profile. I didn't realize like, you know, that, you know, even though he does make a lot of contact, doesn't strike out a ton, you know, his batting average in the minors hasn't been that great. He hasn't hit for that much um, power. And, um, you know, obviously with the new ball, anything's possible, but, and the stolen bases haven't been there. He's batting eighth in the lineup. That's also a concern, you know, that limits his value, especially for stolen bases. So just making sure you take into consideration the full picture. Um, and then try to identify these guys early on who are starting to break out, who are getting a little hot. Um, you know, I know a lot of guys in the industry picked up Ronnie Rodriguez of the of the Tigers a couple weeks ago or last week. I was fortunate to get him this week, but already he's got me a home run, a stolen base, a good batting average. Guys like that who maybe don't have the pedigree, but have have made some sort of change that's making them more valuable. I think that's that's how I would manage Fab, and I think that's one of the reasons why I'm upset at myself is now I'm stuck with like 400 to 500 Fab for the rest of the year, and, and a lot of that was wasted. But the good Fab bids, you know, the Jared Eikhoffs of the world, even though he struggled, you know, those will happen too. The Lucas Chilitos, I picked him up in a lot of places. So all of those, um, you know, will happen too. And you just got to hit on a few of them. You don't have to hit on every single one uh, to be successful. All right, that wraps us up for the mailbag. Uh, did the prospect or did the player profiles, uh, did the mailbag, talked a little bit about it. It was expect, uh, expected WOBA leaderboards. Hope those were helpful. Hope the podcast was helpful. I'm going to continue to keep on trying to put these out uh, on the regular and trying different formats. It is, uh, it can be challenging um, with other things going on, but you know, I'm going to do my best to do that. And hopefully you guys are continuing to find value in them. (music) 
That is going to wrap us up for episode 76 of the Batflip Crazy Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for all your player recommendations and your questions from the mailbag. I really do like the mailbag format just because I love talking strategy and thinking through these great questions y'all are coming up with. I also appreciate all the recommendations on players. I will get try to get to as many uh, as possible as I can, but as folks know, I do try to do a deep dive whenever I kind of take a look at a player, so it does take a little bit of time. But I've also in the mailbag and in going through some of these questions tried to show a little bit about how I am analyzing players, what tools I am using. So hopefully you all are able to do that yourselves because I think that's going to be the best um, the best thing, you know, uh, for you and, and your uh, your fantasy success uh, moving forward. And it's also a crap ton of fun because data is fun, kids. Um, all right. I would also like to point out that I did interrupt the podcast in the middle of it to, t- to put my kid back to bed. Now, I wonder if you can notice that uh, in the recording or not. And when that happened, I meant to mention that after I had already started it to just be like, whoa, look at me. I, I, I rolled with it. But uh, I guess I'm not going to be able to do that. All right. Anyways, uh, thank you so much uh, for listening. Best of luck with all of your fantasy baseball research. Best of luck with all of your fantasy baseball teams. Take care and be kind to one another.